0: well good morning everyone uh... just wanna share a few thank yous uh... first off uh... wanna thank our global ministries team uh... they do a tremendous job here at cnbc one of their goals Uh, One of the goals for the team that they have is to keep our congregation apprised of the uh, work of God throughout the world uh, in the global work that's being done and and to offer opportunities uh, to participate and contribute to that work. And presentations like Matt's uh, this morning and monthly that we hear uh, really contribute to that growing awareness within our congregation. So I'm very thankful for their work and um, just am pleased to be able to serve alongside of each of those team members. Their names are in the weekly this week on, on the back there on that prayer guide, um, if you'd like to thank one of them personally. I also want to thank our youth leaders and our student ministry team leaders. Uh, many of you uh, know that last weekend was the winter retreat, so we have a number of youth leaders that spent a weekend with teenagers and uh, a number that didn't get much sleep but had a great time. Uh, there was some sledding because there was snow on the ground. And so uh, very thankful for that team, all of the families that are involved in that ministry and the work that they do, investing their time and talents in helping our young people form and be formed in Christ. And then finally, uh, our to leaders and volunteers and our Awana ministry staff uh, yesterday. First off, Wednesday night, uh, I'll continue to say this. If, if, you, never, if you just want to come Wednesday night and, and participate in prayer meeting, and, and before you come back to the multi-purpose room, just hang out in the foyer for a little bit and just be so encouraged and enriched by the life that is in this building on Wednesday night. It really is just amazing. Uh, teenagers, Children, um, Our Awana team, our ministry leaders uh, that volunteer and serve with Awana, they do an incredible job. And then yesterday, 188 folks up in Fever Hall. I didn't even know Fever Hall could hold that many people. Uh, but, but it was wild. Energy, uh, excitement, cheering, chanting, uh, everybody just participating and having a good time. And I know uh, the amount of time and energy that, that that Awana team puts into those ministries. And so, very thankful for their work and for their efforts in uh, helping invest and sow the Word of God into the hearts of our young people here at CNBC. And so, uh, just be praying for all those different teams and all those different ministry leaders. Uh, they certainly contribute to the life of our congregation here and do a tremendous job. So, just a thank you from me this morning to those teams. We are continuing in a series through the wisdom literature of the Old Testament this morning, and we have one more week of January, and so this is our final week with January's memory verse, so one last time today, we can say it together. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth, Job nineteen twenty-five. And as I have mentioned, uh, we are in a series through the wisdom literature. There are reminders and outcomes, things that we hope the Lord will be accomplishing as we spend time together uh, in this series. But today we begin the book of Psalms. We just concluded Job, so today we step into Psalms. And again, there'll be a mini-series, three weeks, uh, in the book of Psalms. Before we jump into the text this morning, it's winter. And uh, some of you know that, right? The last few weeks have reminded us it's winter. And this time of year, uh, I'm always reminded of wrestling. I was a wrestler in high school and even uh, early in college. And one thing in particular I remember about wrestling is tournament season. Uh, Tournament season is a particularly intense time in the wrestling season. There are always, no matter what sport you participate in, if you go into a high school gymnasium, there are always a ton of voices But at high school wrestling tournaments, you have to take that up a notch because what they do in the gymnasiums in in high school tournaments is they fill those gymnasiums sometimes with as many as four different wrestling mats. And on each of those wrestling mats, there's a different match going on. And so first, there's the challenge of learning your mat official's whistle noise. Right, Because you're in close proximity to three other matches going on, and there's an official at each of those matches, and so you hear four different whistles. So you have to know which whistle you're actually supposed to listen to. But then in a gym with four mats and all of those matches going on, there are voices. Lots and lots of voices. And I don't know about you, but every parent, every fan has their own style of being present at a match, right? So you have your loud ones. Yeah! They're just going nuts. They're sweating almost as much as their kid is out there. They're so active in the stands, jumping around, yelling, screaming. Then you have, I like to talk about the dads that have wrestled before. And, and if you ever go to a wrestling match, you can point them out because uh, if they're kind of a little bit more on the quiet side, you can see them because they're sitting in the stands like, <laughs> they're kind of like doing the moves like that they think that their, their child should be doing on the mat. Then you just have the quiet, stoic parents that just, you wouldn't even know that they had a child that's participating in the match until they go, oh, oh, oh that's your son, the, the guy that just won the championship. Oh, yeah, you know, like, they're just very quiet about it. You have all these different voices. You have parents. You have coaches. You have teammates. You have competitors. You have officials, scorekeepers, trainers. And at a tournament, you might have 10 to 12, even more schools all present together in the same space. And as a wrestler, on the mat, you're engaged in a form of organized combat. Combat. And as you are out there participating, it becomes vitally important to know and to learn which voices to listen for, which voices to listen to. And listening to the wrong voice on the mat could have very destructive consequences, if you hear somebody on the other mat and you're listening to their coach and you think it's your coach and he says something that makes no sense and you do it, that could lead to a very bad outcome for you. So we're reflecting on all of this, we realize that though we leave the arena, the gymnasiums, the athletic or competitive environments of our adolescent years behind, we graduate into a great big world that is filled with even more voices. Yes? Lots and lots of voices in this world that we live in. Our day-to-day lives are loaded up with information, a cacophony, an endless refrain of opinions, of voices, of prognostications. Which voices are we listening for? Which voices are guiding and directing us? Which voices are contributing to or detracting from our formation in Christ? Are the voices that we willfully participate in and allow to be present in our lives contributing to or unraveling uh, our minds? As we hear them, are they building us up? Are they tearing us down? Are they causing us to function in life with a sense of peace? Or are they causing us to function in life with anxiety and fear? On the wrestling mat, I found myself trying to listen for the right voices the voices of my coaches or my teammates because it was those voices that I thought would give me the best chance. For a successful outcome. These voices would offer true guidance. Security. They would build up confidence and hope. And they would inspire courage to apply the craft of wrestling properly. With the hope of a raised hand. At the end of the match. If you ever saw the end of the match. That's how you know who won. The official picks up the hand of the winner. You face one way. He puts it down. You turn. And he puts it up. And you face the other way. For the wrestler... A blessed outcome, win or lose, might be characterized by directing the totality of our energies and our focus on defeating our opponent as we follow the wisdom and guidance of our coaches to faithfully apply the skills that we had practiced. So followers of Jesus today, we are seeking to live faithfully in an endless sea of voices. And a question that we might ask is, what defines or characterizes a blessed or deeply rooted life? What voices are we listening to? Many of us are searching, looking, listening, learning for ways to live a life that is blessed, one that is steadfast, one that's deeply rooted, that's fruitful and productive in the Lord's work. And Psalm 1 today is going to give us insight into where to develop and form this type of life. In many ways, it will answer this question that we wish to explore today. Again, this is the first of a three-part mini-series in the book of Psalms. It's part of our broader series where we're saturating ourselves in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Psalms is the ancient hymnal of the Jewish people. These were, and sometimes still are, the songs that are sung in community to remember, to rehearse, to reflect, and to renew the mind and the spirit around the things of God. To build a corporate and individual attention to and awareness of God's faithfulness throughout the generations. And to establish and build and sustain and encourage joyful worship and common thinking surrounding God's ways and God's work, both inside and outside of our Christian communities. So if you have your Bibles today, I'd ask you to take them now, or you can use your device to navigate to Psalm chapter 1. And before we begin to unpack this question today, let's ask Jesus to help us as we study His Word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Your name is righteous, good, and true. Your kingdom come in our hearts today, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, the words of life, your scriptures that carry and sustain us, and forgive us when we have followed the advice of those who oppose you, and forgive those who have scoffed, mocked, or belittled us, as we have sought to follow after you. Lead us not into the temptation of power, prestige, popularity, and pride, but deliver us from the evil of ignoring or discrediting your wisdom. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Psalm chapter 1, just six verses. Let's stand together as we read God's word today. Psalm chapter 1, we'll read all of it at once, verses 1 to 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. will perish. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. Thank you. You may be seated. So one of the challenges that present itself to us in the beginning of Psalms chapter 1 is this idea of taking inventory of the voices that are influencing our lives. Who are we listening to? Where are we turning or what are we tuning into for advice and wisdom? In every sphere of our life, whether it's business or spirituality or politics, cultural or social matters, which voices get to sit at our table? And why have we decided that those particular voices are allowed to be present at our table? This is the beginning of Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. In this verse, we're introduced to three varying levels of relationships. To follow or to walk at the beginning of the verse. Then in the middle, to stand. And then at the end, to sit. Three descriptions of personalities present in one verse. First, the wicked then the sinner, and then finally the scoffer. We might say today, we don't really use that word scoffer too often today. We might say today, mocker. We all know what someone who mocks other people is. Same idea. And then three different modes or manners whereby one might come to be influenced by foolish wisdom. Where is the foolish wisdom present today? First the talk show or advice columns, then in the pathways, finally in the assemblies. One scholar has suggested that each step in this verse invites us into a more public and populated space, whereas at the beginning of verse 1 we have the advice of the wicked. It seemed to be more personal, something we might get up and read in the morning. Perhaps we enjoy uh, the daily advice column, or perhaps we enjoy uh, grabbing insight from somewhere every day, kind of more personally. And then there's standing with sinners in the pathway, a bit more public. We might think about our day-to-day activities, the marketplace, the grocery store, there's other spaces. And then finally, selecting and sitting in corporate assemblies. As it turns out, way back in Psalm chapter 1, just like today, there is no shortage of ill talk or foolish words available in our world. Amen? It's out there, everywhere, all the time. And we might rightly ask and maybe take inventory of where these spaces exist in our own lives today. And for each of us who sit here or who are watching online, the answer to that question could be very different. Where have we found ourselves ensnared? Or where have we fallen hook, line, and sinker into the wisdom of fools? Who are the mockers that we've allowed ourselves to be influenced and guided by on our screens or through our earbuds? Yes, the screens, right? Right? We talk a lot about screens. We talk a lot about screens in our home, too. Our screens have quickly become filled with innumerable assemblies of scoffers. They mock, they ridicule, they belittle, they denigrate, they demonize. Their job is to turn people against one another and to make everyone believe that someone, perhaps everyone, is out to get us. The square that was once available for public and civil discourse has been emptied out. The crowds have grown bored of long, slow, hard, patient discourse. Long and compassionate listening. When have you last heard about that? In our political spheres. Long, patient, compassionate listening. We've traded the town square, much like the Romans had, for the gladiatorial arena, where we can chant for more and more bloodshed, for greater violence, for ever-increasing forms, of entertainment and we find unfortunately that foolishness will never be fully satisfied or satiated for it has no secure or firm foundation on which to ground itself instead it rewards the sin of gossip it rewards the sin of deceit it rewards the sin of lie It disregards human life, human dignity, and human flourishing. And all of us, myself included, have participated. And the sad end of that, friends, is that as we participate, it will not fill us up. It will not give us life. It will consume us. And it will only leave us wanting more and more and more. It's just so hard to stop scrolling in the places that leave us feeling most insecure and most inadequate. Psalm 1 moves us hastily from these spaces Spaces that are so full of nonsense yet utterly empty of any true wisdom and invites us into a space where we can find the blessed, the good, or the happy life. That's actually what that word connotates in the Hebrew in verse 1 of Psalm 1. Happy. That word blessed. Happy. There exists... A place where we can find real wisdom, joy, pleasure, delight, the ancient paths, the old ways, tried and true. They fulfill. They satisfy. They give life. Look at verse 2. Instead of all of those other places, He finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. Seasoned saints in this room, those of you that have a lot of years, I believe that many of you would give testimony to the truthfulness of that verse right there in your life. There has been a lot of change in the world that you live in over the course of your years. What's sustained you? What's held you together? What has God used to hold you steadfast? His Word. As New Testament Christians... We live in light of Jesus' greatest command. So when we read verses like verse 2 in Psalm chapter 1, it's fair and accurate to hear the law of the Lord as filled up and summarized by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 10. We shall love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and collective strength. And we shall love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus demonstrated this by living among us as one who was broken and poured out on our behalf, and he calls us to image him or follow in his ways, living in broken and poured out community with one another. So to live as steadfast and unmovable in a raging storm, it's important that we have someone or something to anchor us down. Our someone is Jesus, our something is the whole of his scriptures. Have you ever been around a person that lives like this? Those of you that are here or online, have you ever been with someone that lives so deeply rooted and anchored down When you come into their presence and you just spend even a half an hour with them, it feels like you're drinking from a fresh spring. Have you ever been with someone that just makes you feel so invigorated and at peace because they're so sustained and supplied by God's Word? And when we leave the presence of a steadfast and immovable person, a person who's deeply rooted, we ourselves feel refreshed. We feel a greater sense of security and peace. We see more clearly, we think with greater depth and breadth, sometimes even feeling more relaxed and at peace than when we first entered their space. Friends, blessed communities or individuals have known of and regularly draw from life's most delightful source. And that is God's Word. That's where we find life. All of those voices on the wrestling mat coming from all of those different places, all of those voices out on the pathways in the assembly, all of those voices in our morning engagement of what other things we engage in in the morning, all of those words coming into our head, and there's only one that's been promised to supply, sustain, and give life and work and be alive and active every time we open and read it God's Word fulfilling and true have you been blessed by someone that produces this sort of fruit that lives this sort of life who exudes and communicates this pleasure and delight a person who seeks to live breathe and truly embody both the words and the example of Jesus there is a fruit that comes from this sort of life. Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm chapter 1 present us with a contrast. A contrast between the life that's in pursuit of true wisdom and a life that is buried in the pursuit of wickedness and folly. Look at verse 3. For the one that consumes God's Word, meditates on it day and night, he is like a tree, Planted by flowing streams, it yields its fruit at the proper time and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything He attempts. When we're clinging to Christ and relying on God's strength and dependent on the Spirit's daily bread to sustain us, our lives begin to look very different than the lives of those who choose to rely on their own ways or the ways of foolishness. A tree planted by flowing streams, deeply rooted, reliable, producing fruit always in its right season. Its leaves, the evidence of its life, never wither or fall. Incredible. This tree, this person is a picture of living steadfast and immovable as one who's deeply rooted, grounded with a strong system of roots that are buried deep into the soil of God's goodness and righteousness. One author put it this way. She said, quote, To be fully human is to be rooted in the wisdom and goodness of Jesus. This sort of life overflows with abundant fruit. End quote. Psalm 1 3 reverberates into the pages of the New Testament where Jesus teaches about those. Who are blessed and then he illustrates the nature of their lives by sharing wisdom about a wise and a foolish builder and this is important friends because to be blessed or to be deeply rooted it does not necessarily mean that life is going to be easy or free from pain or that there's not going to be any difficulty or discomfort in our day-to-day lives it's just not what being blessed is jesus opens His Sermon on the Mount with the words of what a blessed life looks like. Perfect knowledge of the Old Testament. The blessed life in Psalm 1. The blessed life in Matthew 5. There's connection. Jesus says, starting in verse 3, this is the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I don't want to hear many peacemakers on our screens today. I don't read the words of many peacemakers in our national news outlets today. Hard work, unpopular work, difficult work, blessed work. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. And so he continues this sermon, and as he does, he shares about the lives of those who hear his words and do them. Put them into practice. He continues his sermon, chapter 7 of Matthew. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the flood came, the winds beat against that house. It did not collapse because its foundation had been laid on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man. Built his house on the sand, the rain fell, the flood came, the winds beat against that house. It collapsed, it was utterly destroyed. But not just Jesus. Jesus picks up on this concept from Psalm chapter 1. Paul picked up on this concept from Jesus. The Apostle Paul, follower of Jesus' teaching, he wrote a series of letters to small house churches throughout the Roman Empire, many of which were in this location that we know as Corinth. In chapter 15 of the first letter that's contained in the New Testament, Paul's laying out the priority and the promise and the power of Jesus' resurrection. And here we have a church in Corinth under the Roman Empire that's existing as this greatly diverse and divided body made up of Romans, Greeks, Jews, and people from many other backgrounds. What did they have in common Paul sought to address that what they had in common was enough to hold them together as a body, that what was a who, his name was Jesus. So Paul addresses the most important components of our faith in chapter 15. He talks about Jesus' life, his death for our sins, his resurrection, his appearance, all being in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul gives his focus to the bodily resurrection of Jesus because In that act, Paul sees another potential source of commonality, of unity for the church. These individuals who were gathering to practice the ways of Jesus were doing so under the threat of political danger, persecution, even violence. Some had suffered for their faith. Others had family members who had lost their lives because of their commitment to Jesus as Lord over Caesar and Lord over Judaism. In highlighting the resurrection, Paul sought to unite a persecuted, weary, broken, and divided people over their victory in Jesus. He saw that Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, death, was a precursor to the future victory of all who were in Christ. It's a long chapter, 58 verses. It's a chapter that in many ways serves as the climax of Paul's rhetorical argument that he builds in the letter. But let's watch how he concludes this powerful chapter. And as we read it, let's make sure we're rooting our imaginations in the tree that was planted by the stream and the blessed life that Jesus has described, the house that's built upon the rock. This is 1 Corinthians fifteen 58. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version this morning. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters... Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, is not futile or wasted. It's never without uh, purpose." This verse, taken together with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and other lessons throughout his ministry, it captures the essence of a deeply rooted life. Friends, a blessed people are formed by God's word and characterizes those who are steadfast, immovable, fruitful, productive, purposeful in God's work. The contrast is clear. In verse 4, is it not? There's the contrast. Psalm 1, verse 4. Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. There are no roots. There's no rootedness to them. They're blown away. They're tossed. In the New Testament, it describes as being tossed to and fro by whatever winds and waves are coming. Here today, gone tomorrow, popular today, despised tomorrow, generating a following today, abandoned tomorrow, neither sustainable nor productive over life's long seasons. And there's a consequence that follows a life that is like that, one that is not deeply rooted. Look at verse 5. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. See, friends, to be deeply rooted in God's wisdom requires awareness, focus, intentionality, patience, and purpose. To be formed by God's word, to be transformed by its renewal, this is a lifetime endeavor. It's not something that we just get a ticket and say, Up, oh, I got it. I'm good now. My mind's been transformed once and done, all set over and over and over and over again throughout our lives. It asks a lot to imitate Christ, to follow in His ways. We want it easy. We want it fast. That's the culture we live in. We want it now, right? Give it to me now. Amazon, order it. It's there the next day. Good things. Healthy things, they take great patience and great intentionality over the course of many seasons to grow and flourish. Jesus marked out the ways for us, and many things have come and gone in the church over the years, but what have, what's remained, right? We have many, many things in the church that have come and gone over the years. Many programs, many different styles and ways and methods and culturally applicable ways of doing things, saying things, but there's been some things that have remained. The core things that have been important from the beginning of the church, that were important at the very foundation. Those are the things we want to practice here because those are the things that if the church is still here, if Jesus hasn't returned hundreds of years from now, we're still going to be praying together. Amen? Amen. We're still going to be bearing one another's burdens according to the Scriptures, caring for one another. We're still going to be gathering to study God's Word and read it together in communities. We're still going to be supporting those who God sends to us, even as we heard from Matt today, encouraging them, building them up, and and then them building us up and encouraging us as well. We're still going to be reaching out to share this great news with our communities. We're still going to be fellowshipping, worshipping together together, Showing hospitality to one another. Practicing the Lord's, prayer to, or the Lord's Supper together and the Lord's Prayer too. That's a good one. Baptizing one another. Friends, these are the practices that remain. And verse 6, the last verse of Psalm chapter 1. Certainly, the Lord guards the way of the godly. But the way of the wicked... Ends in destruction. We want to look at the patterns or the character of someone's life who's seeking to live faithfully, who's seeking to live godly today, who's seeking to follow the right voices in their life, in this world. Some of these things ought to be true of their life, of their habits. Some of the fruits of the Spirit, all of the fruits. We don't get to pick and choose those, I was told once. I said to somebody, I'm not very patient. They said, you don't get to pick and choose. (laughs) Still got to practice it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to build it up in you. Those fruits of the Spirit, these habits that have been with the church since the beginning and were even commanded for us to practice from the beginning, These things have to be present in the life of one who's faithfully seeking to live in a world of foolishness. And these, church, are the things we want to practice. We have a great example. We have the Word of God. We have the life of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within each and every one of God's adopted children. So we're empowered. He's in us. The way belongs to Christ. The path belongs to Him. He calls us onto it. He moves and motivates us as we are faithful to walk in it. So, as our team comes today to close us, we might consider that a blessed and deeply rooted people know the best and life giving source available is God's Word. Their lives and communities overflow with the fruit of God's Spirit and they image or follow faithfully in the ways of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its steadfast presence in our lives. Thank you that we can always rely on it, that it's always truthful, that it's living, active, and that your Holy Spirit uses it in powerful ways. Thank you for its guidance and direction every day. Lord, we want to be a people who chew on your word, who meditate on your word. We want to be a people, Lord, whose first voice of our day every morning is the voice of your word. We want to be a people who hear your word throughout the day as we walk in the paths that you place us on. We want to be a people who seek wisdom and guidance from Your Word when difficult decisions come into our lives. We want to be a people whose Word is on the front of our lips so that when that person needing hope, needing life, needing encouragement comes into our pathways, that what we're offering them is from the life-giving, abundant, bottomless well of Your Scriptures. Form us into that kind of people, Lord. Form us into a people that depend on you through the power of prayer, the study of your word, the caring of one another in community and the support of those that you bring into our congregation that is sending out. And help us to honor you in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.